Welcome to New Chair Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. In part two of my very special interview with Oscar nominee Virginia Madsen, which is again being presented without commercial interruption, Virginia and I discuss the various stages of her career in TV and film. From Electric Dreams to The Astronaut Farmer, from Frasier to Star Trek Voyager, we go forwards and backwards through her career. And finally, of course, we also go sideways. And it is once again a remarkably candid and thoughtful look at a remarkable career. Here now is part two of my interview with Virginia Madsen. Uh, you and I discussed this last week. One of my favorite films of yours came out when I was a college student and I was like, oh, wow, wow, that girl went to my high school. <laughs> It was a really fun, romantic film called Electric Dreams. Oh, gosh, yes. There's something truly sweet and endearing and wonderful about this film. And I want to let you talk about it. But before I do, I want to ask you something that I read. And I just I cannot believe having seen the film. Uh, this is a question, not a statement. You did not play the cello at New Trier? You You were not a cellist? No. You learned to play the cello for the film. Yes, I did. Wow. Young actors would do just about anything. I was determined because unlike the piano or some other instruments, you can't fake that on camera. No. Because your hand is here and your hand is there. And they were sort of debating about how to shoot. Like, why did the writer, why did he have to make it a cello? <laughs> Because you can sort of fake it a little bit with the of piano. all the instruments, a cello. <laughs> yeah, and so I started taking instruction and just did it every single hour of any part of the day that I had, lugging it to and from the studio. And my driver named it Bertha <laughs> because Brian always insisted that I sit in the back, and I always felt like it was so proper. But he said that's because Bertha had to sit in the front. <laughs> it was really amazing to become good at it. I mean, I certainly wasn't good enough to be in a symphony. It, you know, I wasn't good enough to be a member of the orchestra, but I could play. You could play. And there's scenes where you do. It's, it's really impressive. It's a wonderful film. And for those people who've missed it, who are listening to the pod, you guys, you have to go. It's out on Pluto and a, and a number of other places you can watch it tonight. And it is absolutely worth your time. It's a delightful film. It's really about developing AI. Right. It's weirdly relevant today, isn't it? Yeah. It's so relevant today. I tried to remake that film about 15 years ago. Really? I still think this was a good idea. And I still think that it was just a little before its time. And then when I tried to get it done, it was also before its time. But it's a great story, and it's very relevant for today. I absolutely love it. And of course, at that time, you also started doing some television. You had a recurring role in the 89th season of Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. Yeah, that was the very end of Moonlighting, so it was a big deal. But it was also a time that, like, if you did TV, you were, like, destroying your career, you know? And Is that why you stopped? Because you did actually stop after that for, like, 10 years, right? You went, to, you were film only for a while. Was that just the way it worked out? I just went where the work was and things that attracted me. I just went for that. I wasn't trying to not do this medium or only do this medium. 
Gotcha. And the reason why I did Frasier was because I wasn't working at all. My career was like a runaway train and going in the wrong direction. And the only thing I could do was derail it completely and then just do stuff that was fun for me because no one was helping me. And there was a different perception of me because I'd become a sex symbol and then I became, you know, older and it was like, okay, well, let's, how about this? Let's study comedy. Let's go on your favorite shows one episode at a time. And Rusty and I both had that feeling like, let's go, let, let's seek it out and like do these our shows that we love. And I loved Frasier. One of the best written shows in the history of television, hands down. The writing. Yeah. The writing. And, you know, I I was sort of criticized a lot for being fat. Certainly wasn't, but who cares even if I was, but you know, oh, now she's got a baby and, you know, but they treated me like I was one of the stars of the show. The Frasier cast treated me like I was a movie star guest starring. And I just wanted to learn about comedy and I wanted to do it up on my feet instead of just watching comedies. Because it wasn't, comedy's not my forte, you know? It's like not, it's not what really people watch me for. But this gave me the freedom to start doing that because it didn't, I could do whatever I wanted. And that's why I did Star Trek. Because I was like, please just call them, tell them that I'm a huge fan and, you know, Whoopi Goldberg just did it. And, and I have to be, I just don't want to have a pig nose. Okay. (laughs) I want to be like this, I want to be the classic, beautiful yeoman, you know, and they said, well, we've got one episode left. Got an alien who nobody can ever remember. <laughs> yes. Would you like that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. And so I was like, whatever you got, I'm going to, you know, can I have a romance with, oh no, he's not doing the show anymore. Can I have a romance with, no, he's not on the show anymore. <laughs> but like, I just we've, wanted. We've got Robert Beltran. That's your offer. That's. <laughs> yes. And of course, being such a fan just the fact that I got to go on the set. Oh man, I can't imagine. You know, beam in, beam out, have your own phaser, be phased. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> be in sick bay. Like I and, and be on be on the bridge when there's a battle and there's a dude behind the camera with a holding up a broom. And he goes like this, <laughs> it goes like this, and we're all like, oh, you know, it's a whole and they were like, well, we've always done it that way. So that, and it was so hilarious. Everyone was cracking up and they loved doing the fake battles. And they also, that cast was beautiful to me. They were so glad that I was on it. And they had a reverence for Star Trek the way I did. You know, the way you hear now, the people who have been involved in the show, Patrick Stewart just came out with his, I don't know if you've read his, autobiography but it's a beautiful experience he had you know Shatner talks about meeting him for the first time and so there is a reverence for the writing on that show and what it did for audiences and my mother being you know the most intelligent person that I know on the planet 
And she loved the writing and thought that what we were learning, whether it be political or about world peace, that I suppose that's political now too, but she thought it was really important for her kids to watch that show. So it was quite a thing to be a part of that and to be drawn in by both of those shows, by those cast members that treated me with such respect. And it boosted my, I didn't have a lot of confidence at that point. And it really boosted my confidence. They made a great difference to me. That's amazing. And that's that's wonderful. I have always been a Voyager fan. I love Kate Mulgrew as uh, Captain Janeway. It's hard not to choose Captain Picard as my favorite captain, but I really do love her. Oh, love Janeway. And I should note, by the way, because we talked about this before the show, of course, you had had the chance, uh, the, one of the very first chances in your career, you got the chance to work with Patrick Stewart because, of course, a young Patrick Stewart was in Dune, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so now suddenly it's it's not just that you're a great actress from Nutrier. Now you're somebody who I think is amazing to watch. And the first role I remember seeing for that is the next film I want to talk about. And that is The Astronaut Farmer. Oh. And you work with with Billy Bob Thornton. And I love that movie. Oh. And it, it's a role where you get to play a woman of strength. Yeah. You were talking about earlier about not being allowed to be strong. You've, you've got a role here where you get to be a strong woman and you get to show, you know, you get to show the camera and the audience a different part of your abilities. And it's really interesting to watch as, in terms of the transition in your career. When you're making a film like that, or for that matter, any film, and we'll talk about, of course, the elephant in the room next, but when you are making a film, is there a sense while you're making it, do you have a feeling of, hey, you know what, this this is different, this is a special film, or, you know, well, it's okay. I mean, do you, do you, do you sense that while you're, while you're making it, or is it just kind of, you're always giving it everything you've got, and you just don't have any idea how the audience is going to feel? I don't think you really have any idea about where it's going to go or where the film is going to live. You may have a feeling that this is going really well, and I, I think we're doing really good work here. But, you know, then, then when you're done, when your acting is done, it's kind of like you're divorced and you never saw that person again. <laughs> and you don't know how it's going or what they're doing to the house or what, you know, it's like you're out. And unless you're like producing and editing, you're not going to know what they're going to do. Because there's been there's been times where I thought I was making a really good movie and then it was terrible. And so you learn to not expect the success. The only thing you can count on is your experience on the set. And that is the best part, because my experience on the set is what's gold to me. That is why I do it. The experience of filming and being with the family, that's, you know, your, your cast and your crew, and everyone becomes like a family if you do it right. The joy is in the act, is what you're saying. Yes, the joy, and all filmmakers. And so there is this feeling of camaraderie when you're doing it right, some of them are more difficult than others, but that's what I grew to count on is I'm going to make my experience like this. And if nobody wants to come along, then so be it. But I'm going to make this 
and I'm going to learn and I'm going to try out this new character. So everything became this human experience and an acting experience. And, and, and it still is. Because if you try and count on something, that just doesn't work in this industry. You, you know, you could have all the hopes in the world, but if the film disappears and isn't like nowadays streamed, or if it's not on Hulu or one of the other streamers, you know, it's, you can't do anything about that. You know, actors have to unfortunately let go. And it's really heartbreaking when it's like a really good experience you had. And I think, you know, The Astronaut Farmer was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Oh, nice. Well, I think that shows through in your performance there too, by the way. So, so I think I, I had a pretty good sense that we were making a good film, but they didn't want to really release it and promote it. And so Billy Bob and I were running around promoting it ourselves. Right. Because we were like, this is a family film. Come on, you guys, get on board. It really is. It, and I loved him. I loved working with him. We just had an immediate chemistry. He's just really easy on a set. And so am I. So, you know, our set was, our set was fun. And we never got to work together again, but we made a really good film. And that was one of the things that turned out way better because we didn't know what they were going to do with the rocket. You know, like, how are you going to film like the launch of a, a spaceship right. on screen without that kind of a giant budget? But they did it. They managed to do it. And oh, gosh, when I had to leave, there's some films when you leave, you just you cry for a few days because it's over and you're not going to see any of those people again. You may, you may run into each other, but the experience is done. You, you, but you've got to be there. And it's not that different from when you're doing a play. You've got to be there. Yes, it's closing night. It's over. Nothing will ever, there's no way to revisit your set. But it matters, and it's beautiful, and you've got to have that, even for a short period of time. So that's how I, I that's how I look at it. Well, you said earlier that there's sometimes you just don't know if the audience is going to come with you or or not. So I want to kind of finish up with the one movie where everyone went with you, and this is the film for which you won. I literally stopped counting how many awards <laughs> you won for Sideways. And of course, also, this is the role for which you were nominated for an Oscar, which is... Cheers. <laughs> it's the highest form of recognition, I think, that there there is in the industry and, and a Golden Globe as well. Talk to us a little bit about Sideways, because it's later in your career, and yet it also is this kind of defining moment, and it is just beyond brilliant. It's It's hard to describe how good this movie is and how brilliant you are in it. So in asking my last question again a little bit, in the experience of making Sideways, I hope every actor goes into every film role thinking I'm going to you know, give it my best Academy Award <laughs> kind of performance that I can give it. But again, in that film, was there a sense there that, oh my God, this is, this is brilliant? No. Really? <laughs> I mean... Well, certainly not for me. I mean, 
I think both Sandra and I felt like, well, we're like the supporting, we're the, we're the, a, a catalyst for what happens in these guys in their lives, their friendship. But the focus wasn't us, which gives you a certain amount of freedom as a supporting actor. Sure. That you don't have, you're not carrying anything on your shoulders. I thought the tone of the film was more like about Schmidt. You know, it was, I, I thought it was a little more melancholy or sad. And then when I was watching Paul and Thomas film this scene, and it was so hilarious. The car scene? No, it was them. It was them when he gets, you know, he drinks the spit bucket and then he runs down. <laughs> Thomas chases him down the hill. And and he's like, dude, you have a problem, you know. But they were just Paul's body language. The, the two of them had this very specific body language when they were running. And if you look at that scene, the way they're, and I thought, oh my God, this is the film we're making. I didn't realize how funny it was. There's a kind of a sadness to it. And, you know, there's a almost a sort of tragedy to parts of it. But it is also, as you just said, there are a couple of moments in there that are just side splittingly funny. I mean, the car, the car crash when it hits the tree, but just sort of gently. I, hits the tree. <laughs> I about fell out of my chair. I mean, it was that it was really you know, funny. You know, Alexander really understands and he he understands what we do and he understands the tone of his own film better than most. So he knows there's a real sense of leadership with him that everyone can just relax and be great. You just want to be good for him, but you have this sense of like, you're doing great work because of him and you have all the freedom in the world. And if you just get out of your own way, the words are so beautiful that that's all, just let the words flow and, and don't overdo it. So you get this, you know, it happens right away that you get this freedom as a performer when you have words that beautiful. And it was just an extraordinary experience, but no, is in answer to your question, like I felt like they were gonna get uh, Alexander and Jim were going to get attention for their screenplay, of course. And I thought that Thomas and Paul would get a lot of the attention. And when it turned into something bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just kept going and going, what a joy. What a joy to have, after so many years, to have that kind of recognition. It would be very rare that I'd have that kind of applause. And, and I knew it. That's the thing. I knew it that like, this is going to be once in a lifetime. Not that I won't be up there again, but this particular type of support and uh, admiration and the way that I was treated then really talk about confidence like it really really gave me confidence i to have that kind of recognition was very important to me and i loved it i it, i did not shy away from that attention <laughs> because then i was going to get opportunities like then you know the next thing i get hired is by harrison ford i mean come on man yeah so <laughs> yeah. you know what do you go wrong there <laughs> 
Oh, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be able to ride this wave for maybe two years. Of course, it never went away. And the movie is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'll never be ungrateful for that. That was really, that was important to me personally, as well as professionally. And it was nice that people could see what I do when no one was seeing what I could do before that. I was doing quite a few little independent films where I could not have to wear makeup and I could just be myself. And what I had learned to do, I could actually do on a movie, but nobody was seeing those movies. So when Sideways was finished, they were, now you see it. Now you see what I've been trying to do this whole time. <laughs> you know? That that must be incredibly gratifying. And I'll, I will say that there are a number of people who saw you in that and were not the least bit surprised. So last question, do you have a favorite film of yours? Oh, well, that would be hard for me to answer because it depends on what age I was. Ah. Like certainly as a kid, Electric Dreams. Right. 100% just because of what that experience was like. And then I guess Long Gone, which is a movie I made about baseball directed by Marty Davidson with uh, William Peterson. And that was a great experience. But then later it would have to be Sideways and the Astronaut Farmer. I look at each film like as a whole, this is why I don't have a problem watching my movies because I started, I thought that's what everyone did. So, you know, everyone would go look at the dailies or the rushes where you go and look what you filmed the day before. And I, I saw really experienced actors doing that. So I was like, okay, you're going to have to get used to like watching yourself. But you're not just watching yourself. You're watching what the director was doing that day. You're Now you're going, oh, that's why the lighting took so long. Because we kept losing the light and then they had to bring it. And remember that lunch we had, like, you'll remember the caterer, if, <laughs> even if they're bad. Most of the time, they're pretty good. I have a story to tell you about that when we're off the air, but yes. Do you remember that car that I got to drive? So it's like you're watching a home movie when you're a kid and you're remembering, you remember everything that happened around that grainy footage that you're watching. And watching a movie that you're in is the same. For me, anyway, I'm remembering everybody else's work way before mine. Because I know what I did, but I'm watching, oh, that's what they were doing. So I I finally get to see that. You get to see it from a completely different perspective because yeah. you know you know what you saw with your eyes out. Now you get to see everything else. And I get to see all these things, scenes that I'm not in. Right. Like, oh, that was the car crash. Oh, that was the... You know, that, oh, that was, remember that. And I always remember that moment, but it's the scenes that I'm not in that are always an eye opener. I'm always grateful to see what other people were shooting. So it's a whole complete experience, but I, I encourage actors to start learning that. Watch your work, but watch everyone else's work because you're in somebody else's movie. So watch what the director did. Watch what the lighting crew did. You know, watch what the DP was making you sit over there for. Watch everyone else's work because it's important. And when everyone was like, oh, I can't stand watching myself on a film. 
I'm like, do you know how lucky you are to have a job? <laughs> but, you know, you're lucky enough to be a part of it. So it's not just about you. So learn how to watch the films that you're in and learn to congratulate those who were part of the ensemble. Wonderful. Uh, one of the coolest things about doing this show for me is when I get to interview people that are sort of in my era at Nutria, as, as many of the guests are. And as I as I noted earlier, I am just old enough to have gotten to see you perform on stage. And I, and I actually do remember it. I think what makes you such an interesting guest for me today, but also in terms of your performances as a sort of body of work, is that there is a there's an authenticity and a sincerity that comes through in speaking to you that also comes through in every performance that I've ever seen you give. You talked earlier about being at Nutrier and, and holding on to the costume and looking for the makeup and feeling it. And that sense of wonder and awe and respect and love and joy for the art is something that cannot be, it cannot be faked. You can't fake being in love. Yeah. And you clearly... Even on screen, you can't fake being you know, yeah. like... And you are clearly in love with it. And that's an amazing thing. And so I have been overjoyed uh, to to get the opportunity to, to talk to you and, and about your career. And I am thrilled that you are also one of us uh, to have come out of this unique and 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 special in, environment. So you know, and I and I know you spoke a little to me the other day about like where you have gone in different variations of of careers, but you have such a beautiful voice, and as you can tell, I I'm a great fan of that, and somehow you are being drawn back into what first inspired you. Oh, absolutely. This is a calling of love, but it is also something that I I have tried many times in my life to go on to be the adult in the room and to put away childish things and to, you know, that's the creative stuff that I did, blah, blah, blah. But no matter what happens to me, there is a need and it does come back to Nutrier and it does come back to my training and it does come back to all these different points. There is, there is a need to be creative. There is a need to share the love of art. Yeah. And it, it's, it is, it's powerful. And yes, you're right. I can't escape it either. <laughs> so our guest today has been Oscar nominated actress, Virginia Madsen. Virginia, it has been an honor and a pleasure and a privilege to have you on Nutri Performing Arts Stories. And I wish you the absolutely very best. Thank you, Duane. It's really nice to, it's a long time ago, but it's kind of nice to revisit it. So I appreciate you very much and thank you. Nutria Performing Art Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and in this case, very carefully edited by yours truly, Duane Burkhardt. For those living in the Nutria area, well, the kids are in finals now, and that means that the fall performing arts season is over. But don't worry, they'll be back with a third quarter kickoff on January 9th. We, of course, will be back next week with our second annual Christmas celebration. And if it's Christmas in Nutria Performing Arts, that can only mean one thing. That's right, our guest will once again be the one, 
and only Suzanne Adams. And like you, I just can't wait. Until then, happy holidays from New Trier Performing Arts Stories. If you have comments or suggestions, please email info at newtrierpadstories.com. Thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.